Here comes the, here comes the, here comes the, y'all don't really worry like Hello and welcome to the Drop Gold Podcast. On today's episode, we are joined by none other than the man himself, Tyrone Tyke McCarthy. Welcome to the podcast, mate. Thanks for having me. No worries. Right, well, so we'll get started. Right, it's an honour to have you here on the podcast today. So let's get straight into the questions. You've won two challenge two challenge cups having scored a try against Leeds in 2012 you've won the intro super cup over in Australia as well as the state championship and we also saw you represent the Red Devils last season at Old Trafford which of these events would you say had the biggest impact on your rugby career um, obviously the the challenge cup uh, moments stand out with obviously winning and but yeah they're probably the first one um, it was only my third game, so to get to make my debut three weeks earlier, and then to obviously obviously it doesn't get much better than that, and I exactly, kind of yeah. already achieved that in that first first couple of weeks. So um, yeah, it's kind of kind of give me a taste of what what how good the sport can be, and obviously them occasions are, and obviously and I've just kind of obviously wanted to kind of fulfil that fulfill that uh, that feeling again exactly. and again and uh, I have been quite fortunate playing in uh, in finals but obviously we've uh, uh, last year was probably a step too far against St. Anne's but yeah it's something that has stuck with me that you never know when you're going to get to play in one and obviously really fortunate to do so but you've got to make the most of them, them, them occasions. Exactly yeah. So um probably uh, when you made your debut for Warrington, uh, it was actually against Wigan Warriors, who are a well-known rivals of the Wolves. Uh, was there a lot of pressure from your friends and family, or was there even pressure from yourself to make sure that you did well and uh, had a good game against the local rivals? Um, I think that, that that in itself was a bit of a whirlwind. Uh, I'd literally just had a knee operation, um, so I'd, I think I'd I'd been getting back to like doing some rehab running with the physios and. And Tony yeah. Smith just come up and asked and said, "Ah, oh, are you going to be fit this week?" And I hadn't done any like tackling or anything like full contact stuff with, with mm-hmm. training. And I said, "Ah, oh, well, I'm feeling fit." And he's like, "I oh, will get get your head round playing on a Friday night," and that was on the Tuesday. So I didn't really have much time to think about it. Um, probably kept everything quite quiet. Just obviously told me immediate family, and I think they were just more. More proud that I actually got to fulfil like a boyhood dream, and yeah, it was uh, to say uh, I was pretty nervous when I sat on the bench. But once I got out there, you make that first tackle, you kind of kind of forget about it all. So exactly, yeah, yeah. it was. Um, yeah, that I wouldn't I wouldn't say I felt too much pressure. I just went out there and tried tried to enjoy myself as much as I can. Uh, unfortunately, we didn't win that game, but um, it's obviously something that I'll, I'll look back with with fond memories. 100%. So you made your debut for Warrington. Uh, flash forward just a couple of weeks uh, and you're at Wembley getting to play in the Challenge Cup. Uh, being a big piece of Warrington's history, what was going through your head on the big day and was there anything that you'd look back on and wish you did differently? Um, like I say, at, at the time it kind of felt a bit of just an honour to be involved. And yeah. 
I, I was I was actually preparing because I I'd been at university the year before and I just graduated that year, so I'd only joined the first team quite late um, within the season and after I graduated. So I obviously wasn't taken into account with with numbers for hotel rooms. I didn't even have a club suit and stuff things like that. So I was actually rushing around during the week trying to trying to sort things like that out for. Yeah. Um, and obviously like tickets for family um, and then I got the call and then obviously get to told that I was looking for a suit actually and then get told I, I'd be playing um, but yeah I, on the day I remember getting a few odd texts off uh, I remember Paul Derbyshire who's sadly not with us no more he, yeah. he texts just saying go and get the Lance Todd and obviously <laughs> you could change anything you'd, you, you'd like them little things but I was just happy that obviously I got out there. I only played about twenty minutes, but that I didn't. I just did my part that I needed to do to get out there to make sure that we got a win. And that was just me going doing my job and make a couple of tackles, take a few carries, and then not make any errors. So I managed to do that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and I think it's something that stuck with me for twenty twelve was that obviously. People might, I you kind of felt like I was lucky to to be involved with that. Exactly. Um, but but in 2012, I kind of felt like this was that was the opportunity to prove that um, I, I earned that one fully. Yeah, definitely. Um, so um, we'll move on. Uh, the year 2010 and 11. In 2010, you went on loan to the Championship to Lee Centurions, and the year after uh, to the Wildcats, uh, which is Wakefield Trinity now. Uh, do you believe that yeah. your time on loan was a vital moment in your career to make you the player you are today? Um, I'd, I'd say at the time I probably didn't realise how good of an opportunity it was for myself, um, mm -hmm. especially the dual bridge at Lee. Um, yeah. I think at the time there was probably a bigger gap between Championship and Super League than there is now. 100%. And I just felt like I was a Super League player. Obviously, I got that taste of success and I probably <coughs> just, I just wanted to play for Warrington week in, week out. Yep. Um, that first, that year at Lee, by the end of it, I was kind of happy the season was over. <laughs> um, <laughs> but then I kind of, it was my first time being a full full time professional for a full year too. Really, obviously, like I say, I come out of university and then probably had this expectation of playing every, being being involved every week at least, and that didn't happen. Uh, yeah. And then the next year, kind of reset my goals again. Obviously, brought me back down to earth, kind of thing, and mm -hmm. went back to Lee for I think the first two games and played pretty well, and then. Um, I went off on loan to Wakefield, which, when I look back now, I was just grateful to to wait, uh, Lee <coughs> for letting me go there because mm -hmm. there's probably a couple of games where I didn't play play the best, but they 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 stuck with me and then obviously I feel like um, I probably went back and put put things right at the start of that year and then obviously went and got some experience um, at Wakefield, which yeah that was a a tough. A tough period for that for their for that club in itself. I think our average age would have been about 21 of all the players there, and they yep. just got into administration and just needed some players. And it was a great opportunity for pick up for a bit of game time and and one proved myself that I could 
I could do it week in, week out. 100%. Um, so you were back playing um, for Warrington in 2012. And to be honest, it was just meant to be another year at Warrington and another Challenge Cup final win. But this time it was slightly different for you. Um, you actually managed to score a try on one of the biggest stages in rugby league. With such a dominant display from both sides on the day, uh, what do you believe gave Warrington the edge back in 2012? Um, like I say, it was, it was a pretty pretty tough game. Um, uh, and I think Brett, the, the tackle that Brett Hodgson, and it, uh, Lula Wai did on Brett Hodgson, and yeah. they, could, they probably scored off the back of it, but obviously that all got disallowed. and. That probably was a a big turning point in the game. Uh, in terms of, I think we we knew then we had we'd probably been let off the hook a little bit, and we just kind of kicked on and took the game uh, by the scruff of the neck. And um, you know, like we say, we ended up running out quite comfortable winners in, in that second half. But um, I don't. I'm not saying that we wouldn't have won if if that would have gone that way. But it's, it was a massive momentum shift, and I think you could see it probably deflated leads a little bit and yep. it, it helped us it us grow into the game and I remember when I was on, cause I was on the bench and again and um, the rain it was a real warm day but the rain come down yeah um, but I think it, in that period it, it was probably helpful to us too and just calm calm the game down a little bit um, yeah and obviously getting that offload off Benny and getting over is one yeah. of the highlights of my career and something that I just remember looking up and seeing all the, the Warrington faithful going bananas in the, <laughs> in the stand and, and try and pick out like family members but yeah it's something that's going to live with me forever yeah 100% um, so in 2013 you spent time in the championship but this time at Swinton uh, with your time in the championship, do you believe the championship is on a great route to create more professional teams and higher standards? And if not, what do you believe could be done to further establish it, the game? Um, yeah, the, the, I think over the last ten years, during, especially during my my career, that with the championships probably it's been mixed about a bit because of what the demanded of Super League clubs. But exactly. like I said earlier, I think. The actual champion, the standard of championships teams has probably improved, but that's probably been at the detriment of of, a, of the standard of Super League. So it's a pr pretty difficult one in terms of how you you judge success in, in yeah. the championship. Uh, it's tough to judge like what what is the best for for the exactly. championship. But my, per my my personal belief is I think Super League should be the main focus for the professional game. Um, I generally believe there's probably not just championship, but championship one clubs that are, there's probably amateur teams or clubs that run or have more impact on the the, the rugby league community than yeah. some of them semi-professional professional clubs. But within that, too, there's some great uh, championship clubs that get around in the community. So it is a fine balance, and um, I'm a big believer in the, the kind of franchise system that we yeah. used to have. Um, I think that adheres to standards, and and then I think you should have that at all levels of the game. But like you mentioned, I think there's probably amateur clubs that probably put some of the professional clubs to shame, and whether mm. whether some of the money that goes into the championship or even Super League is is be better invested elsewhere. But yeah, the championship, like I say, it's improved over the last ten years since I've been in, and I think they've got even closer 
um, in terms of standards playing wise to, to Super League and I think it's a great place for young players to go and uh, when they're uh, going to earn a bit of uh, experience against against playing against men and yeah. that's something that obviously I got to do but like now with reserves coming back that'll probably be the loan system or dual red system will we'll hopefully do that for them yep hopefully um, so 20, uh, 2014 was a very big step in your career uh, as you made the decision to fly over to Australia and join the Northern Pride. Uh, Northern Pride isn't the highest standard of the game in Australia, but still having such a big opportunity to start a new chapter down under in Australia. Uh, everyone would love to experience a lifestyle, um, but apart from that, what made you choose Australia and join the Northern Pride? Um, I think it was a real difficult decision. I'd previous year Warrington had kind of offered, offered me a three year deal to stay yep. um, but that 2013 year I was in and out of the team again and after 2012 exactly. I just kind of really didn't feel valued so by the end of the season I think got to a point where I could have stayed and probably not I'd like to think I would have kicked on there but yeah, it, I felt like it would have been a gamble to stay and only been a a bit part player, mm-hmm. whereas I could have. Uh, there was a couple of the Super League clubs that come in, and um, they were saying I'd be playing every week. And I, but in my heart, I really I thought he. I generally thought, why would I move from Warrington to a club that's not as good and exactly. obviously not my hometown town club? And then I got a message uh, of Jason Dimitrius, the Northern Pride coach, and like I said, yep. they were the part of the Queensland competition. And then I've always wanted to travel and, like I say, the, the lifestyle in Australia kind of uh, is, is quite attractive and it was yeah. something that I've, it kind of all come at the right time. And it was a gamble, obviously. Uh, like I said, Warrington offered a three-year deal and I was pretty much going over to Australia for a pay-as-you-pay contract. Um, they would, I'd had a, I'd get a job with through the club too, which was great experience going into the schools, doing a bit of teaching and. Yeah. But yeah, the, the um, going to Northern Pride, it probably is what I needed at that point in my career in terms of playing week in week out, uh, long minutes and and enjoying my rugby again. I kind of probably got a bit, bit disillusioned when in that 2013, I think. That was the year I went to Castleford on loan, and yep. I didn't play there due to a bit of politics within the club, and it just kind of felt like a it could have been a make or break kind of year for me. And I think going to Northern Pride would just give me a bit of a clean slate where I could no one knew me, I could start again and just enjoy enjoy playing rugby. One hundred percent. So uh, after a truly successful year down under, uh, you chose to test yourself once again in the Super League, but this time with Hull KR, uh, if I'm correct. You had a great time with the Rovers, taking them all the way to your favourite place, Wembley. Um, sadly, the Robins did end up getting beaten by the Rhinos 50-0. Uh, after the game, did you and the boys take the loss as a negative or more of a learning experience to not make that same mistake again in the future? Yeah, um... Yeah, KR and if we speak about because they were one of the clubs that uh, were coming the year before, and so it, it kind of they kept tabs on me over there, and it felt like the right fit for me. So yeah, as you mentioned, but they they did a massive recruitment drive, and 
Uh, I think we must have signed over 17 new players, but we we, we just clicked together as a as a team. Like considering you'd, we were just thrown together last minute. I think Albert Kelly, obviously he was the the superstar of the team. Yeah. Um, but we we just had quality across the park, and we were a pretty good attacking team. And we and like I think if you look at some of our scores, they would have been a few 40 20s and mm-hmm. stuff like that. But yeah, the the Challenge Cup was something that. I don't know. I, 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 from the start of the season, I knew that we were going to have a good run in the, in the Challenge Cup, and um, when we got to Wembley, I think, like you say, in terms of was it anything that we we picked up in? It was probably for me. It was. I was so disappointed after that one. Yeah. Not only have we beaten, which I think it's a record-breaking defeat, and mm. it was such a special day to to lead that team out at like at Wembley. And, should have been like a highlight of my career, and it, like looking back now, it is. But at the time, it didn't feel like it. It felt like the worst day of my life, and um, I'm just so disappointed. And and I don't, I don't think all the players kind of felt as bad as some of us did, and that yeah. kind of hurt me a little bit because um, I kind of thought the way that we were prepared and a little things we were just a bit off compared to when. The first year we went with Warrington, they made mm-hmm. made sure that we were going to win that game in terms of preparation and and all the little details. And I know it's hindsight now, but they, I think they had a massive role to play to make it feel as, as special as it as the competition and as that day is. And and obviously on on the day we turned up against a, a, one of the best Leeds Rhinos teams has been the, the the treble that year, but it doesn't make it any easier looking at. That, that score line. Exactly. Okay, so um, do do you believe that now over the years, um, from the recent recent winnings of Catalan Dragons in the club, do you believe that the Challenge Cup has become a competition where teams go to prove themselves? Yeah, I think that's something that, like, even that sells at Salford last year. It's a competition that's probably easier to target because you, you yeah. can target one-off games. At um, Hulkia, I don't think. We, we kind of did it like that. We just kind of won a f- the first two or three, and then it was like, oh, we beat some good teams. And then I think the, like the the semi final against Warrington gives you that belief. And you, yeah. and as you see, you know, I suppose last year with Warrington against Saints, is that anyone can beat anyone on the day. And it was the Saints were the most the the best team throughout the whole year. Yeah, but the, and it, all that matters with the Challenge Cup is how you perform on that day. And and uh, I think that's why people, our clubs, can, can can target it, and I think it's it adds a bit more excitement to the game too, with that knockout kind of feel, and and some people either thrive on that or die on it, and um, that's when, like you say, you see the Catalans turn over Warrington, and it's, I think that was great for the game, and um, and we, we've actually. Last year, I said about Salford. That's that was the competition we kind of pinned our finger on and said yeah. we'd like to do really well in the league and probably a top four target. But we want to win that cup. That cup. Mm-hmm. Um, and unfortunately, we got beat in the first or second round. But <laughs> but then that probably gave us the bit of inspiration to go on the the run that we did. So it yeah. definitely, and I think that's why I did to Warrington as a club. I think Warrington seeing it as a as a way we, we won that and it's like yeah. ticked off that and it, it generated that momentum to start building a building that success successful period that, that we had 
100%. Um, so you had a great year of rugby in the Super League. Um, but then the next year, you also got an offer from the NRL side, St. George Illawarra Dragons. Uh, what drew you back to Australia having such a great season in the Super League? Yeah, that was a real difficult period. Uh, like we all, we loved that we loved, loved Australia the year before, and mm-hmm. we all kind of said, "Oh, we'd love to come back at some stage." And then it was out the blue that I think I, I had it. I was speaking to the kind of low key to the Dragons the year before before I signed up KR, but then committed to KR, and then I had a, a clause in my contract, like a release clause, and I just kind of. I think it was two days before that clause was due up and I got a phone call saying that St. George wanted me and I kind of obviously told the club and I don't, well, they were a bit, I, I didn't, obviously I was saying to the club that I'm not decided, it's just that I need yeah. to let you know that this has kind of been activated and, um, and then I was pretty committed on staying at OKR, uh, speaking to Chesie at the time and obviously we just we were doing what this was prior before the, the Challenge Cup, and yeah. we were obviously we were doing well. We felt like I felt like we had a good base of lads, and I felt we could really turn that club into a real like a, a mainstay of Super League. And, mm-hmm. um, and it was a conversation with, with my now wife that when she I told her she was like, "This is something that you've always said you wanted to do." Exactly. Um, like, why would you not go and do it? And I think that conversation it kind of it was it was the turning like the, the deciding factor it was like how often do people get to get this opportunity exactly and yeah go and prove yourself and um, regardless of what happens that you can say you, you want to do it and give it your best shot and so that, that was pretty much why uh, I decided to go yeah it was a, yep. it was a tough old decision but yeah and that's how it come around and Obviously, Mike Cooper was there at the time, mm-hmm. and, um, and so that kind of made it a bit of an easier transition. 100%. So, for years, the NRL has been known to be the highest standard of rugby league. Uh, over the current years, uh, past few years, uh, do you believe the skill gap has closed between the Super League and NRL? Um, I'd, it's really hard to judge. I'd say, in terms of week in, week out, Intensity, the NRL, it, like Super League, doesn't match the NRL, and mm. um, but I, that's down by down to different things. I think when you look at so many like different variables that yeah. affect the two competitions, one is the, the length of the season, the amount of players that are over there, and that's something that I got asked the other day by one of the young lads. What's the difference? Uh, um, about playing in, in Australia compared to here, and it was yeah. the sheer amount of people you're competing with to get the shirt, um, and everyone's competitive at training. Like everyone wants to beat each other, and it's just if you've got that in the training, and obviously when you go out on the pitch at the weekend, then it, it's kind of it's a, it's a no-brainer. It's going to happen. And, and another thing is how, how long their pre-seasons are. They have like three or four months to prepare for a season, whereas exactly. in Super League, especially your international lads don't really get a month off because mm. they'll, they'll get December off and then the back playing, so they don't have any time to prepare their bodies for Super League, which has an effect on, obviously, I suppose, the whole competition. So 
Um, yeah, I think in terms, but then on the, the flip side is that you're seeing more of the British lads going over there and proving exactly. themselves. So it, I would say that that's something that I, I learned is that you have a bit of an inferior complex with the Aussies. And when I was first going over there to play for Northern Pride, I didn't know what to expect. I was like, am I going to be good enough to play out in Australia? And, yeah. and you have all these worries, but once you... And even at St. George, that kind of happened again because I was going to prove myself. And once mm-hmm. you're training alongside these other players that you've seen on TV, you're like, no, actually, yeah, I am as good as them or I can give as, as good as them. And, and I think that's obviously been the mindset of the lads that have gone over and done well. Is one, They've just gone out there and played their own game. That's made them successful in the Super League. And, um, so I would say as a as rugby league in the countries in terms of talent, I think, we're up there with them. It's just a case of how we nurture more talent and expose yep. more intensity to it. 100%. So after playing in Australia in 2017, you joined your current side, uh, Salford Red Devils. When hearing the news that you'd be returning to the Super League, all English fans were very excited to see you back, especially the Salford fans. And just a couple of years on, you're tearing through Super League and have helped the Red Devils make it all the way to the Grand Final. Knowing you'll be a part of Salford's history, what did you feel like walking out onto the field at Old Trafford back in October? Yeah, it's a so surreal moment. Is um, When I was at Warrington, obviously we were pretty pretty lucky to make a couple of finals but I got dropped yeah. for the 2012 one and um, I remember picking up a piece of grass when I was on the pitch after and I was thinking I'll be back here one day <laughs> uh, but as, the, as your journey goes on you kind of think oh, that probably is not going to happen and the year before with Salford we were fighting relegation and stuff like that and even when you make these goals you, there's still an element of like is it realistic but um, just to get out there again and um, I'm like a Man United fan all my life too, so yeah, it's something that you you, you wish you could do as a footballer, but obviously not got the talents to do that. So to get be able to do it, playing the sport that we do play, is, is phenomenal really. And it's just a shame that we couldn't cap cap off a, like the fairy tale ending for us. But yeah. it's something that I'm proud of to be involved with. Uh, I remember reading all different articles and stuff about our bunch of misfits and things like that but the actual core of that that team that we've still got now is they're they're hard working honest people and that's why I think we were successful last year we obviously had some talented players within that team and that that helps but yeah our belief and and obviously what I was a coach he he drums home about working hard and having that winning mentality and that's something that I think all of them lads have, have got. And This year we've obviously started um, a bit shaky but as we did that last year and we've proved that it doesn't yeah. really matter how you finish, how you start, it's how you finish. 100%. So we'll move away from your rugby career now and talk about the work you're doing over in Africa. So you're working alongside many of our amazing people for a project known as the Full, Bro- Full Blood Project. Can you tell us about your work over in Africa and what everyone is doing uh, to make sure it stays up and running throughout the coronavirus? Yeah, um, so at the minute we've actually been pretty low-key um, um, and we're actually probably going through a bit of a transitional phase with everything. Uh, so one of our partners is called the Gunjaw Project, which is based in yep. the Gambia. And primarily they go out, well, they're based, they have like a lodge that's based there in, in the Gunjur. And 
all different types of groups can go out and do like the schools, um, mm -hmm. fix up homes, and, and the you know like the projects that you see on TV. And, and when I was at Warrington, I always had an ambition to to go and do some volunteering. And we went out there. I went with another group called uh, Give, and it's yep. just a organisation that gets groups together and goes and delivers them. And we delivered some rugby league over there. So coming home and, and having that experience, we decided to set up the full blood projects. And uh, I know the primary focus is just to get kids playing. And yeah. I was, they, they've not got the same kind of materialistic things as us. And, mm -hmm. uh, but the kids, all kids just love to play. And if we can give them a platform to go and in, fulfill that enjoyment, that was something that's all we were aiming to bring, uh, bring and obviously spread the, spread the word of the game and, we're probably looking at changing the name over the next couple of weeks, and yeah, because I've not been back for a few years now with all mm -hmm. the travel that I've been doing. It's so we we just kind of at the minute we're funding that they have community coaches that are the Gambian Gambian born, and they go out and they deliver yeah. some sessions um, through the Gunjar project, and just making sure that the community has that. Uh, in I can't remember what year that was. Was it 2016? We took out a mixed group again, and then one of the girls who was on that group, she delivered badminton. So, and to get the girls involved, so within their culture, it was only boys that were allowed to really have, take part in the PE lessons and the yep. sport. So, what we were trying to encourage was making sure the girls had a, um, a bit of a platform to go and, go and enjoy themselves too. And, and it's just people that you meet along the way. And, and the Full Blood Projects, it's kind of adapted over time we did a bit of work in Leeds Leeds City Centre with, with yeah. kids who were, get, who were struggling at school and and it pretty much is just trying to give young people an opportunity to be the best versions of them 100 percent um for a bit of a try not done it that much over the last 12 months but there's something coming in the pipeline and obviously we want to try and get things back up and running as, as soon as possible yeah, 100%. Uh, I do think it's truly amazing work that you are doing, and it's definitely something that we should look out for in the future. Um, so before we end the podcast, we'll move on to some quick-fire questions to find out a bit more about your teammates. So let's get started. Question one, who's the first out onto the pitch in training? Ooh, uh, probably Lee Mossop. He is the captain, um, but I think he likes to dodge. We have to do normally do a bit of a, a pre-ab where you do... Yeah. Uh, if he can get out of that, he'll he'll get on the pitch first, so he misses it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Question two: Who's the biggest joker in the changing rooms? Oh, joker. Uh... Who likes a joke? No, it's... we got a pretty <laughs> serious bunch this year. Um, yeah. I'd say Greg Burke. He, he's. I don't. I don't know if you call him a joker, but he he does does some great impressions. <laughs> uh, yeah, he can do a good Sean Wayne. Um, and he, well, anyone who he's played with, he can pretty much pull him out there. Uh, wow. Yeah, so he's pretty. I find him pretty funny. Um, yeah, we, we've got a pretty sensible bunch, really. That's great. Uh, question three: Who's the first to have a pint after a match? Oh, a pint. I think Mark Flanagan like likes a likes a tipple. <laughs> uh, 
and then obviously a couple of young lad Ryan Lennon. Yeah. I don't think he, he'd shy away from that. Or uh, Luke Yates. He looks like he he enjoys a good time there. <laughs> He's a single lad, single lad on the prowl. <laughs> <laughs> Question four: At halftime, if the boys aren't having a good game, who's the biggest motivator? Um, I think Watto. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, if we're not if we're not having a good game, we, he lets us know. Um, but in terms of players, I think there's a, a we're pretty good in terms of there's yeah. probably three or four of us that'll probably take mantle. But um, Lee Moss, the captain, uh, he's, he's pretty good at putting what needs to be said out there. Definitely. Question five: Who's the most serious in the changing rooms? Serious. I have my days, um, <laughs> but then I can. Can be pretty chilled out too. Yep. Um, try and think. Must be someone. No, I can't. There's no one um, who's proper, like that you can't talk to. So yeah. Everyone's pretty, pretty good in terms of focus, but I can't think of anyone who's too serious that stands out. That's all good. Uh, question six: Who's your biggest player rival in the game? Player rival. Yep. One that I don't really like playing against. Uh, yeah. Uh, for different reasons, I, I never I always have a bit of an issue with Joel Tompkins. <laughs> uh, yeah, maybe that's the Warren Wigan thing. Uh, yeah. But yeah, and t- but now nah, there's I think throughout the game there's kind of a mutual. Res- Respect for everyone. Definitely. Um, yeah. Yeah. So but before no, on the oh, pitch. No, oh, no. I was just going to say, but just on the pitch, ever always feel like I have a little battle with him. Definitely. So before we finish off, do you have anything you'd like to say to the listeners and those who want to make it in Super League in the future? Um, for the for the young players out there, that it's just uh, I spoke to. Wolstrom Rovers under 11s the other day and they, yep. they asked some, something similar and it's just like I've pretty much made my career down just to working hard and, mm-hmm. and working on all them little one percenters and I think that's what that makes what uh, that's what you've got to focus on when you're probably not the most talented and yeah if that if you've got some talent and you've got to work hard too you, you just don't get there by by being talented and that's whether you're just going to do your extra little runs or a little bit of tackling practice, but you just keep keep focus and don't. No matter how well how well you think you're going, just remain remain grounded and level headed. Hundred um, percent. Yeah. Okay, so thank you very much for joining us on the podcast today. It's been great to hear all about your rugby career and your voluntary work in Africa. Hopefully, I can get you on the podcast again in the future. Um, once again, thank you for joining us today, and I hope that you and your family are staying safe and well in these difficult times. Well, thank you. Thanks for having me. No worries. All right. See you, mate. Here comes the. Here comes the. Here comes the. Y'all don't really worry like that. Rest in peace, Jordan Cox. You will truly be missed. You're a great asset to our sport and the community. You're a great man who played some great rugby. And for that, we thank you. Rest in peace, Jordan.